Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Nothing Concrete. I'm Ben Eshmate and this week we're delving into our archive, looking back to June 2018 in a series of podcasts where we speak to a DJ, a writer and a record label, all three showcasing their love and obsession with Japanese music. This podcast was originally made to coincide with a series of gigs featuring artists from the Japanese underground scene responsible for genre-defining music, from the groundbreaking electronics of Yellow Magic Orchestra to the sonic arts of Ryoji Akida and quirky pop of Mariah. There's always something that comes along that you think, wow, that's incredible. So let's explore the influences of Japanese underground music, from the club music of Kyoto to the record stores of Osaka, discovering and exploring the sounds that have emerged over the past 40 years. In a way, what these Japanese artists have done, they've taken those American and Western influences, but they've produced something, something individual. In this first edition of this podcast trilogy, Howard Williams, a.k.a. Japan Blues, starts off with a unique journey through some of his favourite underground music from the 1970s. Over to Japan Blues. Hey, yeah, I'm Howard Williams. I run the show Japan Blues, which I've been doing for NTS Live for over four years now. I also occasionally play bars and clubs around the world, and it's all about Japanese music. It became my obsession a few years ago, has remained ever increasing ever since initially you know the 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 story that i tell most people when i was a kid i went to see a japanese percussionist called stomu yamashita and he was one of the few japanese musicians who made it over to the west in the sort of earlier days because he had a kind of jazz rock angle to his playing but he brought Japanese sounding percussion like taiko drums and things like that and the show that I saw involved you know cultural touches that uh, were unusual to the western ear or or eye you know there's it was a theater music mime show and you know I was just a kid so I was uh, only just starting to buy records and of course I bought the soundtrack straight away other than that, it took until I was on my first business trip to Japan because uh, my business is uh, distributing records. I went to Japan in 94. On my sort of ways around the record shops there, I started seeing a few reissues of Japanese 60s rock guitar music, which all looked kind of curious. So I snapped those up. One of them was an artist uh, called Takeshi Terauchi, who done kind of 60s electric guitar 
reworks of traditional Japanese folk, which they called minyon. I really liked that sound. It really appealed to me. This sort of Japanese scale being played on a guitar, you know, in a kind of beat environment, it really excited me. So this kind of drew me in. And of course, the soundtrack that you hear when you're in Japan, you know, walking past or into bars and shops, you know, I became attuned to this scale, and I really started seeking it, seeking it out in the music. Started collecting. You know, in my trips back to Japan, when I sort of assembled these uh, records, I was looking. You know, which ones are seventies? You know, some things that are actually from the eighties look like they're from the seventies. A lot of Japanese record companies in the past didn't put dates on the sleeves or the labels. I had to dig deeper in my research to make sure that these were actually from the seventies. So that meant that really, in a way, there's not. Consistent theme throughout, but I, I think there's a feel with a few wild cards, <laughs> and the feel is that there's generally a, a bit of a groove to these tracks. first track is by Minako Yoshida, um, and it's a track from uh, 1973, her first album. The title is Machi no Boke, which roughly means waiting in vain. It's from her first album, which is kind of very much in a sort of singer-songwriter style, along the sort of lines of、uh, Carol King. Mature, emotive feel to the record. Has this very wonderful grainy sleeve photograph close up of her in a kind of sepia picture? Is one of these obscure, difficult to translate things? It literally translates as "door to winter," like the door to winter. Hosono features well very heavily on this one. The arrangements are by Caramel Mama, the band, one of his earlier bands. This wonderful sound of a. It's a bit like West Coast rock. There's a kind of mellow feel feel to it, but there's also, I always feel, an edge.
this this kind of area, this um, which has sometimes been lumped into this uh, genre, uh, which is strictly a Japanese genre uh, called city pop, which I think is an unfair category to uh, put this in because I think it has much more substance. Um, a lot of city pop can be this what I described before, this sort of mellow, you know, easygoing, you know, unchallenging kind of music. Whereas you know, Minako's first album and a lot of Osono's uh, collaborations are not they're not not strictly easy listening. Yes, so this would not have been heard anywhere outside of Japan. I, I very much doubt. So the second track is Takahisa Kosugi, and the track is Mano Dharma from his LP Catch Wave, which was released in 1974. I, I think Kosugi is much more of a kind of hardcore experimentalist. You know, he was working from the early 60s with the, the Fluxus movement, and he is a violinist. But on this record, he takes the violin, takes it to another universe using a lot of effects and you know distortion you know double tracking and all all, all sorts of um you know reverb echo chambers half the time i can't hear it it's violin at all i think really he's more in the in the kind of universe of say um you know john cage and uh harry parch or you know uh, you know another much more experimental souls This is a, an interesting one, Akiko Togawa, and the song actually get down the Japanese title, but it's actually a cover version of an Italian song called L'Importante e Finire, which in English means the important thing is to finish. Tokawa was a very interesting character. She was a chanson singer, you know, the French chanson, popular style, which has a huge following in, in Japan. It's one of those foreign styles which they really took to. But in her case, she was actually she actually ran a, a hangout, a club, where people might perform this music. And certainly she must have got up and sung a few songs herself. Like a lot of singers, she was also an actress, also a very staunch feminist and uh, gay rights activist as well. Very significant figure because, in my humble opinion, I, I think you know Japan has historically been completely intolerant of uh, homosexuality and feminism. It's a very patriarchal society even now. Things are changing, but I mean certainly homosexuality is very much underground. The fact that she 
was a sort of reasonably a high profile an actress and a singer championing these rights is is something really special uh, and this song is i i played it once in a in a bar in hackney and this italian guy came up to me and said ah i can't believe it you're playing this is mina it's mina being the italian singer who made this song famous and it's actually a very sexual song which you can sort of hear maybe from the tempo and the way she's singing it um, but he translated lyrics for me and it very much tied in with the the concept of the little death being the uh, orgasm illustrating this kind of erotic scene um, yeah quite a quite a piece <laughs> Uh, a fourth selection is Masabumi Kikuchi, and the track is Sunday Lunch, and it's from his album But Not For Me. Kikuchi was a jazz pianist who played with many leading lights of uh, American jazz, including Lionel Hampton, Sonny Rollins, Woody Herman, Mel Waldron, Joe Henderson, McCoy Tyner, Gil Evans. It's endless. He really got got around. And it kind of shows in his playing. He's got a very interesting, you wouldn't say free because it's not free jazz, but he has a kind of free way of playing and composing. When I, when I heard his music first, I, it made me immediately think of Miles Davis, electronic period or just pre-electronic. Uh, he actually ended up living in New York uh, for many years and playing in, in New York clubs. It must have been nice to have uh, gone into some small bar and seen him playing. I think the important thing, you know, when I hear Japanese music is I, I kind of equate it a little bit with Jamaica, where you know reggae music is really it comes from rhythm and blues. You know, that its root obviously that there was uh, mento, which was the kind of uh, Jamaican rhythm very early on. But really reggae itself is from rhythm and blues uh, and they twisted it and made it their own. In a way, what these Japanese artists have done. They've taken those American and Western influences, but they've produced something, something individual. Selling a little or a lot? 
Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So track six is Ayumi Ishida and Tin Pan Alley Family. And the song is Watashi Kishin. It's from her album, Our Connection, which was the, the only album she did with the Tin Pan Alley family. Tin Pan Alley was another band that uh, Hosono was uh, a major figure. Basically, she was really a um, kaiokyoku singer. She was a, a Japanese pop singer. You know, she started in the 60s, but it wasn't until the 70s when she collaborated with these guys who brought this kind of city pop or west coast kind of feel to her music is a very groovy record. Mas o 
know, Yuki Saori, again, was a very popular pop singer. Uh, she debuted in the early 60s, mid 60s. But th this song came out in uh, 1970. Uh, Ikigai actually sort of forgotten, but it's, it's been quite a trendy word in the West recently. Somebody wrote a book about the concept of Ikigai. Uh, it's, it basically means a reason for being or a reason for living. But the angle of this book uh, seemed to be that, well, we all know that Japanese people live much longer lives than we do. What's the secret? The, supposedly the answer is a reason for living, which is kind of fair enough. This song really um, hit me between the eyes because I felt, you know, going back to, I mentioned reggae before, which is really love as well. It, there's a kind of element of lover's rock to this song, I, I felt. Um, you know, lover's rock is a particular strand of reggae that sort of started in the 70s, most popularly high-pitched female singers singing love songs, uh, very, very sweet songs. And that, actually that style is very popular in Japan because of the high register, I think, and because of the kind of romantic, it's a very easy thing for uh, people to get uh, attached to. I feel this song is almost like a Japanese artist predicting Lover's Rock. It, there's a kind of groove to it. I think it's a lovely song. Yeah, Fuji Keiko is, is much more of a kind of uh, character and music. What drew me to her first of all was that I heard this Japanese female singer with a kind of gutsy, kind of gravelly edge to her voice. <laughs> You know, I was used to hearing these kind of quite smooth, you know, pretty voices, but Fuji had, you know, much more of a bluesy kind of voice. Uh, her father was actually a Ro Kyoku singer. Peculiar kind of bluesy street music. It's an ancient music form. And her mother was um, a, a goze, which is a blind shamisen, which is also a, a very traditional type of musician. Um, so she had this, you know, very deep, gutsy, raw kind of musical background. And of course, as a kid, she accompanied them sometimes on tour. And I guess she developed her, her style from that, but it evolved into, you know, a popular singing style, which was uh, connected with what they call enka, this, uh, the barroom sound I referred to before. 
because it was kind of Enka, it, it, it's always very bluesy, her stuff. It's always very heartbroken, uh, quite um, sort of final-sounding music, which is, is doubly, I'm, I'm sorry to say, doubly ironic because she actually uh, ended her own life a, a few years ago. Considering how successful she was and probably how wealthy she was, I mean, it remains a mystery why she did it. The, this next track is by Happy End, Otomo's group, and it's called Natsu Nandesu. There's a live track off their album, which is live in 1973. Natsu Nandesu means it's summer. I think you get that sort of feel. It's got a very sort of lazy groove to it. <laughs> They pioneered this sound, which um, had an American feel to it, you know, in, in the terms of that kind of West Coast feel. Its character was strictly Japanese, and the lyrics, they somehow worked the rhythms of the music around the rhythms of Japanese language. When you listen to their record, they make it just sound so easy like anyone could do it but nobody could do it it's it's uh it's incredible music So the next one is uh, Yumi Arai, Anata Dake no Mono, which roughly translates as Just For You. And it's from her second LP called Mislim. Yumi Arai uh, is probably more famous in Japan as Yumi Matsutoya. That's her husband's surname. Matsutoya was um, in Caramel Mama, the band that you heard earlier backing Minako Yoshida. Again, uh, Yumi Arai is a kind of, I would say, was compared to you know, Carol King, you know, singer-songwriter. She sessioned on many other people's records before she started embarking on a solo career you know she had 
21 number one albums, apparently. But this was one of her earlier works, which I think has a lot more substance and maybe some of her later stuff, if I may be so bold. So uh, track 10 is um, Hidako Fujiwara, song from 1970 called Omae Nanka, which is, again, difficult to translate properly, but it's expressing something about pissed off with her partner. She's basically railing against him that she's had enough. And it's from her album Watashi no Blues, which is basically my blues. She was more famous, really for the group that she sang in called Itsutsu no Akai Fusen, Five Red Balloons, uh, which was a very popular folk group. This record, as well as the Itsutsu records, uh, were on the very famous underground record label called the Underground Record Club, or URC, which um, championed a huge amount of singer-songwriters and folk musicians in the 70s in Japan. Uh, but this is more of a um, bluesy funk number. People have often commented when I've shown them Japanese record sleeves, anything from 50s onwards. People always comment on the uh, wonderful composition or uh, you know, photography on the sleeves. And I think it's true. There, there is a, like with the music, like with the professionalism one often hears in the, with the backing musicians, there's, there's also a, a kind of an elegance in the presentation, with the visual presentation. And the thing you find with these uh, island nations is is it's a completely bottomless well. You know, you, you you'll never reach the bottom. It's just incredible to think how much music has been produced. Yeah, so I think the mania maybe has cooled off a little bit. I mean, obviously, the the scenery has changed. The scenery has changed quite a bit in the four years of me doing my show and the years before playing in clubs often to not very many people at all. I, you know, the scenery's changed in that uh, the internet has opened up a lot and a lot more reissues coming out, some of which I've been involved with, but there's a lot of others that are entering the market these days. So in some ways, satiated to a degree, but of course there's always something that comes along that you think, wow, that's incredible. Oh, I- 
thanks to Howard, aka Japan Blues, for speaking to us. In our next edition, we move to the 80s as we speak to Yosuke Kitazawa from Light in the Attic Records for another journey in sound from their related releases. We try to excavate the story behind each recording. Uh, a lot of times that story is just as fascinating as the music itself. I'm Ben Eshmade. Thanks for listening to this archive edition of the Nothing Concrete podcast, here to inspire more people to discover and love the arts with weekly podcasts of archive finds and themed series. Subscribe to Nothing Concrete on Acast, Spotify or wherever you find your podcasts. And if you can, leave us a review to help us get the word out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.